This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. It is indeed NBA Sound System, L-I-V-E Live, Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty. We in playoff form. Playoff form, Scott. On a Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, normally on a Tuesday. We had to move it because Scott was uh, was taking some away time from uh, the team. And now he's back. And uh, I'm back as well from uh, fresh from Atlanta. Atlanta was good to me, Scott. Um, it, was, uh, it was good to go down there and, and hear the thoughts of Hawks fans that uh, – are talking more about uh, the Atlanta Falcons football team than their actual basketball team. But that might change now that they're 1-0 uh, in the series against the New York Knicks. Um, but lots to talk about in the postseason. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. I, I can't. I really can't believe that we've only had four days of playoffs at this point. With the amount of just craziness that's already happened, how close some of these games have been, all the storylines that have come out of it, um, and like we'll get into stuff that's happening to like the Clippers, for example. It feels like the playoffs have been going on for about a week, 10 days. Maybe that's sort of the feeling with the playing tournament happening before this. Um, but yeah, we're, we're here. The playoffs have been incredible already. So I'm excited to see how the rest of this these series play out. Yeah, for some teams, it really does feel like maybe it's been a month worth of games uh, because they've been getting bludgeoned in some of these games. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and Miami Heat in a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about AD's big bounce back game uh, against the Phoenix Suns. But of course, we have to start right off the top with the series that only one man on this podcast predicted would go this way. The Clippers and Mavericks and the Mavs are up 2-0, taking both games in L.A. and head back to Dallas with a 2-0 series lead. Now, Scott, I'm patting myself on the back. You can't see me, but I'm doing it right now. Oh, um, I can imagine you. I can imagine I, you doing it. I know how proud you are of this. I am. I was away. I was ahead of everyone. I went out on a limb, and I picked the Dallas Mavericks to beat the LA Clippers in the first round series. I did say it was seven games, and I still believe it's going to be a long series, and I'll get to that part in a second. But what made me believe that the Clippers uh, were you know, upset, ready, uh, was something that you know didn't stand out to me in the playoffs, but it's two things in the regular season that stood out to me. And the first episode, way back when, and we've been with Scott, we've been doing this podcast now for almost three years. NBA Sound System, you and I, uh, and at the time, Mike Adams, Alex, Alex Novick, and Gil McGregor, and Kyle Irving, the entire NBA Global team. We've been doing this for almost three years now. And I said at the time when the Clippers first got put together with Kawhi and Paul George. It was in December. We had a podcast. I remember you guys killing me for this uh, because it was a loss in December. And the Clippers went out and got hammered by the the Memphis Grizzlies at the time. And then uh, I think it was Marcus Morris or it might not have been Marcus Morris, but someone stepped up in the locker room at the time and said, you know, this is a poor effort from us. We, we, We deserve better. And the very next game, they got hammered by the New York Knicks by the same amount. And, and to me, that signaled that the team wasn't fully together. They weren't on board. 
and I talked myself into them last year heading into the bubble because I just had too much time on my hand. Everyone had too much time. Four months without basketball, all I did was look at numbers, and sometimes numbers tell a story, sometimes it doesn't. And I didn't trust my gut. I went with the numbers, and I had said that the Clippers would win the NBA championship, and I was embarrassed by that pick because they embarrassed everyone by falling uh, to the Denver Nuggets in the second round of the playoffs. We all know the story there, 3-1. So I didn't hold that against them. The second thing in the regular season that stood out to me came this year. wasn't last year. was this year. Backing into the playoffs the way they did, dropping those two games, and, and they could say whatever they want in, in terms of, uh, you know, it wasn't to avoid the Lakers, whatever they wanted to say. They're arresting players. Okay, cool. Whatever you want to say. The bottom line is consensus around the NBA and NBA media believed that the Clippers kind of, you know, didn't try their best to try to get the higher seed. They ended up with the fourth seed with a date with the Dallas Mavericks. To me, that was a sign that the entire organization probably wasn't on the same page. Because if you remember, Scott, way back when, when this team was first put together, it was a lot of bravado. It was a lot of we're taking over LA. We're taking we're, we're winning a championship. We're, we're trying to build a championship team. If you remember, way back when the very first game Kawhi Leonard played for the Clippers was against the Lakers, and that was a playoff-type atmosphere in Staples Center. It really was. Paul George didn't play that game. The Clippers win that one, and and there was a lot of trash talk during that game. Patrick Beverly's mouth is running off. Uh, Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell, and of course, Kawhi Leonard, stoic as ever. But they got the victory against LA, the Lakers, that is, and, and it was sort of like sending a message that, hey, we are here now. We're trying to be no longer little brother. We can compete at a high level, not just in LA, but over the entire league. And at that time, I felt, you know, maybe the Clippers had something there. Maybe maybe they are stepping out of the Lakers' shadow. Two years later, towards the end of the season, now we're avoiding the same team that we're trying to step out of their shadow? Just didn't make sense to me. It made me feel like maybe some of the team, you know, some people on the team, probably agreed that that was the way to go, and some others were saying to themselves, well, why are we avoiding any teams? If we think we're a championship team, we should go through everyone. Let's try to beat everyone. So a disconnect there leading into the playoffs made me feel like they are going to start slow. And the last thing you want to do is start slow in the postseason against a player like Luka Doncic, and he has been even better than I thought he would be. And now the Clippers are down 0-2. Their backs are clearly against the wall, and this Dallas Mavericks team is not afraid of them and very much upset heavy. Do I still think it's going to be a long series? Absolutely. I still think the Clippers will make this a seven-game series. But I feel very good about my prediction. Goodness, you, you must be exhausted. That was quite the victory lap you just did for uh, a team that's only down two games in this series right now. I just want to say, by the way, I picked the, I picked the Clippers in six. Um, that was mainly out of confidence that Luka Doncic is just a, an absolute beast and he could probably win two games. Um, I did not quite see, see it go this way. But I, I just want to say my prediction is still technically could be correct. Um, no, th- I, I mean, th- this is not the start that I think... I mean, even you. I, I don't think you saw this start coming, did you, to the series? I didn't. I, I don't know about you, but when I predict series, I kind of played out in my head as to how the games will go. So in my head, I did believe that the Mavericks would take one in L.A. I did not believe that they would take two. I actually believed that the Mavericks were going to go up 3-1, the Clippers would battle back, win next two, and then eventually lose in L.A. and you know peter out of the playoffs. It's looking closer to to being a, a six game series, which you predicted. But in the favor of the Mavericks right mm-hmm. now, 
Um, but I still I still believe in the Clippers, and I'll get to my point why. But I, how are you feeling about your prediction? Because it is clearly not going to be uh, the same ending that the series had a season ago. Where the by the way, the Mavericks put up a great fight. People forget that 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 was a six game series. Um, how am I feeling about my prediction? Not not great right now, to be honest, because the the the. The thought of this Clippers team rattling off four straight victories, two of which will be in Dallas, um, doesn't seem very likely at this point. And I mean, really, this team, this team has kind of given the Clippers some trouble over the last couple of years, even in the playoffs last season. You know, Paul Zingas played two games. Um, Jalen Brunson, who was, I think, a legitimate six man of the year candidate this season and probably had a stronger case than people realized. He didn't play for the Mavs during that series, in that series, or in those bubble games, and he's a huge part of this team. And I think something we talked about off air earlier today that you made a good point of is that this Mavs team came into the playoffs pretty healthy, and that was a reason, you know, that was a, a thing going in their favor. And they've just hit the ground running. And I mean, first of all, Luka Doncic has been absolutely spectacular. He he hasn't just been the best player in this series. I think you could make the case that right now he looks like the best player in the entire world. I mean, he's averaging like 35, 9, and 9 on... Uh, hilariously, he's shooting better from the field and almost better from three than he is from the free throw line. But he's been super efficient. He's doing it every which way. I wrote an article on NBA.com today about how he's putting on a one-on-one masterclass. Like, this guy... It really doesn't seem like it matters who's on him at this point. He's just going to go at you, whether it's in isolation. And his post-up game has gotten so much better over the last couple of years. And it's still not something he did a ton this season. He actually hasn't even done it a ton in the series so far. NBA.com, their tracking data has him scoring a total of six points out of the post already. But um, he, he's just... He's he's well, he's I feel like he's gone to the point where he's just kind of like matchup proof. You know what I mean? Like we've seen Patrick Beverly. He's not the defender that he once was, but he's still a pesky defender. He gets under the skin of bigger guys all the time. And Luca just I mean he's talking trash to him. He's telling him he's too small, and he just bulldozes his way to the rim against him. Um, Zubac has no chance in isolation against Luca, and he's even taken it against guys like Marcus Morris, Paul George, and also Kawhi in one-on-one situations. And he just, he has no fear, which is crazy considering his age. And the Clippers to this point have just had absolutely no answer for him. So as long as he continues being the best player in this series, I think the Mavs absolutely have a chance to win this series. Um, I Even even though I picked the Clippers going into this series, like this was one I, at the time, if you told me like, yeah, the Mavs are going to win, I, I would have been like, okay, yeah, I could see a world in which that happened. I didn't think it was the most likely outcome at all. The Clippers were awesome all season long on both ends of the court. And I thought, you know, Kawhi playing at the level that he did this season, Paul George being kind of back to his ways would have given them that boost that they needed. But um, to your point, I don't think this series is over. It's 0-2. It hasn't been good so far, but I do think the Clippers will bounce back. They seem to be at their best when they're kind of, when people are counting them out. And also, if you look at it from Dallas's perspective, they've been shooting the lights out beyond Luka. Like, Tim Hardaway Jr. is shooting 65% on three um, on high volume. Dorian Finney-Smith is shooting 55.6%. Like, there's a chance that these guys just shoot this well for the entire series. And if that happens, that happens. But, um, you know, if they regress a little bit, maybe we're looking at a couple close games coming up here and the Clippers can make it a series. But, I mean, yeah, the Mavericks have thrown the first punch. It's been incredibly impressive. And, again, Luka is just absolutely unbelievable. It feels like, you know, he's just... It's incredible how he just continues to just shatter expectations. You know what I mean? Like he had one of the greatest postseason debuts we've ever seen, really, on an individual level last year. 
and he's just leveling them up again this season against a team that I think, again, were great defensively this season. But you also look at that roster and you think, just on paper, like they, they should have the defenders to have an answer for Luca, or at least, you know, not to slow, stop him, but to slow him down a little bit when you look at Kawhi, Paul George, Marcus Morris, Patrick Beverly again. But like these guys just have no answer for him. Um, and it's, it's scary to think that this is what he's doing already on this stage at this age and at this point of his career. Yeah, it's time, it's time to stop being surprised by what Luka Doncic is doing now at the NBA level because this is a guy who was playing pro basketball at the age of 16. He wasn't a college kid. He was playing against grown men at the age of 16 in the second-best league in the world uh, and performing at a high level. When he left uh, that league, he was the MVP of the Euro League and performing at a high level. And you know, pressure over there you're talking about in, in some scenarios, they're one game elimination games. Um, you know, there are series, but also there, the, when you get down to the final four, it's one and done. So over there, uh, he was able to perform at a high level at an even younger age. And you talk about the pressure from the crowd and uh, all those other things you have to deal with. And the spotlight that would have been on him then at that time as an NBA prospect and still delivering at the high level. Then you move on to the Eurobasket, which I actually was there and called a game uh, of his for Slovenia. And that team goes 8-0 and wins Eurobasket. And again, the amount of pressure and attention that was on him at that time where he wasn't in the NBA yet, he was still a year away from hearing his name called in the NBA draft, it was incredible. I felt the pressure for him, and he delivered uh, at, at the highest level in that tournament, leading Slovenia, not a powerhouse, Slovenia, to a Eurobasket championship. Luka Doncic is the real deal, and we need to stop being surprised by him. On the other side of things, full disclosure, uh, my, my future father-in-law, I'm getting married in September, as you know, Scott, my future father-in-law works for the Miami Heat. Uh, he was live uh, to see Tim Hardaway uh, Jr. go for 36 on the Heat in a win uh, and shot the lights out. And he texted me and he said, this guy just crushed us, absolutely just killed us. And I went, at that time, uh, I went back and looked at what Timmy Jr.'s numbers were, and they were phenomenal. To close out the season, the last 12 games of the season, Hardaway Jr. averaging 21 points per game. 43% from three-point range, 50% from the field. He was unbelievable on high volume, of course, from three-point range, almost nine a game. He was unbelievable to close the season. And as you know, the contract year stuff, sometimes it hits players uh, in different ways. He's in a contract year. He definitely wants to get paid and be a part of the Mavericks future that we keep hearing about and we will hear about going forward regardless of the result in this in this series. So uh, Timmy Drew, he's definitely earning a, a, a big, big time race at the end of this season. Uh, and, and that's carried over into uh, the, the postseason so far. Now, I did say that I do think that this series is going to go longer, and I do still see it going either six or seven. Um, and, and the reason for that is you touched on it. I think the Clippers are a better team when they are not the favorites in a situation. I think the Clippers uh, relish in the underdog role. They shy away from the from the front runner role, but they relish in the underdog role, and they are now in the underdog role because that's the way that the momentum has swung. It, they they got their butts handed to them in two first games. They're now going to Dallas. Everyone is expecting them to kind of just peter out and uh, you know just just remain uh, or kind of kind of fall out of the playoffs the same way you know Denver was able to take them out. I do expect them to win at least one game in Dallas. They ha Obviously, game three is a must-win situation. I do expect them to win game three and, and sort of remind us how good they can be. And also, uh, the other side of that is, I, I think when you look at this series, 
the adjustments that can be made to tweak the momentum and, and everything else in the series, all of them are on the Clippers' side. I don't know how many adjustments Dallas can make, especially on the defensive end, to try and slow the Clippers down. Because they shot the Clippers shot well from the field in Game 2. It's just that Dallas shot a little bit better. They, they, they shot out of their minds in Game 2. So when you look at the adjustments that can be made, in my opinion, most of them are on the Clippers' side. I don't know. Dallas is not a good enough defensive team to, they, to to slow down what the Clippers have done in the first two games here in the postseason. Um, so I do think that that will sort of come back down. The shooting will come back down to earth. And then secondly, the Clippers will make some adjustments defensively that will make things a little bit tougher for Dallas. I'm with you. Um, I, I think that's that's the case. I think that the Mavs have been um, pretty flawless to this point, I feel like. I mean, they picked up two games in L.A., so they've obviously done something right. But defensively, especially what they do against Luka in these these next couple games will be huge because – as I said, he, he's just been unbelievable, and it feels like whoever they throw at him, um, they've just had no answer for him. But at the same time, it feels like they just gift-wrap him every single matchup he wants. Like, the amount of soft switches that the Clippers have done to this point of the series. Like, Zubac has spent way too much time defending Luka in isolation. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's he's hard enough to stop in those situations for two-time defensive player of the year in Kawhi. Like, Zubac has no chance. And they can't afford to just let him continue having these matchups. Where that gets difficult is that, like Kawhi, for example, he's so valuable to them offensively. Like we saw game two, he went off for 41 points. Um, You know, is this, their backs are against the wall right now, but like, does he have the energy to expend this early into the playoffs to just be an absolute two-way force like we've seen with them in the past and can even i mean i i have confidence that he can do it at this point of his career but i do think it's it's kind of like a little bit of a question mark where he can go you know pedal to the metal on both ends like we saw in that final series when he won finals mvp against lebron and then also the eastern conference finals in 2019 um against the Bucks, where he took on that responsibility of guarding Giannis, and it was a team effort that that slowed Giannis and the Bucks down but he was kind of the, the the you know the primary assignment on him and obviously offensively he was incredible in that series so there's just a lot on this plate Paul George also they need him to step up on both ends he had a big 28 and 12 and 6 in game two but I mean it's Luke this is a thing like the Mavs it felt I, I don't know if it's fair to say it felt like they underwhelmed the season because that they had a, they dealt with a lot but I don't know if they had as good of a season as people expected but I mean they're still a really good team really well coached and I don't know where you want to put Luca in the, the top 10, top five conversation, but he's one of the best players in the world. He has no fear. And it's it's funny to think that, you know, they're kind of in this situation because that's not a, a good recipe. Like that's not a team or a situation I feel like you want to be in. So yeah, it, it's going to be fat. That game three is, is, as you said, a must win. No team has ever come back from 0-3 in a series in NBA history. So that's going to be a fascinating game. And like, I mean, we, we know that Luke is not going to be afraid of the moment. So it, it's going to be good. It should be a really good one. You know what's really funny? I chuckled, a little, I chuckled a little bit when you said that the Mavericks haven't really had the season that everyone expected them to have. I'm not sure that many people would have expected them to have a better season. But the gap between the fifth seed and the fourth seed uh, record-wise, is about five games. And just because mm-hmm. they're, that back half of the Western Conference wasn't in the top four or really bumping their head in the top four, the Lakers were the only team that really had a shot uh, at finishing in one of the four seeds, and we know what happened there. But it, just because the Mavericks kind of you know got hotter towards the back end of the season when their team got healthy, people kind of slept on the fact that they are a fifth seed. 
They're a fifth seed and they won their division comfortably. So it, it is, and you know how much I love division, Scott. Oh, I know. But it, I know. it is, it is interesting. If you had said that at the beginning of the year, I think people would have said, well, maybe Luka's going to be in the MVP conversation. I think if you said, you know, the Mavericks would win their division comfortably and finish in the fifth seed, I think many people would have put him in the MVP conversation uh, based off of the you know the numbers that uh, that he had, and he still is. But he he obviously wasn't a finalist this year. Uh, he had a the Mavericks did had a a sneaky good season, and they're a sneaky good team. And we're finding out firsthand how good they can truly be. Uh, we had right, that conversation, move. by the way. We, we had did, that conversation about Luca because like he was my preseason like a, pick for MVP, and I remember I was right. talking about like how good did we think the Mavericks could actually be, and I was a little bit higher on them. I thought they could be kind of like a, a two or three seed potentially mm-hmm. um and, and the thing is like they had a really tough schedule to start the season they were hit by COVID-19 health and safety protocols um and then that their, their, their schedule did lighten up at the end which kind of helped them finish strong but um I, I still think I, I mean personally I thought they were gonna probably fin- I, I think they had a chance to finish higher this season going into the season but you're right I mean when you kind of take away those expectations and you say they were the number five seed and they were kind of sort of in the mix for home court and Luca averaged basically like a 28 point triple double um it is funny kind of i mean that speaks to the mvp race this season but also kind of our expectations for him yeah i it, they're high and he's uh he's blown through me every single time now up 2-0 in the regular season all right the next la team uh is tied at one in their series with the phoenix suns they got back to business 109-102 defeating the phoenix suns uh, a hobbled Phoenix Suns team with Chris Paul, um, you know, suffering an unfortunate injury in Game One. He tried to go at it in Game Two, only played 22 minutes. He just did not look like himself. His presence on the floor, uh, I, I think, uh, was was warranted in Game Two. I know some people have said maybe you should have sat that one out and got you know all the way right and try to get better for the later on in the series. But I think that the, you know Phoenix really fed off of the fact that he tried to play uh, and they tried to play for him. It's when he sat on the bench that you really see and, and they, how they miss his leadership on the floor. But the Lakers pulled it out, uh, you know, and, and, and all thanks to Anthony Davis having a terrific game, uh, 34 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. He got to the line, Scott, 21 times. That, to me, was the difference in the game. Anthony Davis asserted his you, – you could see from the opening tip that he was engaged – uh, he, he was going to be aggressive. He wasn't going to settle for the same looks that he took in game one. And that was a huge difference. And it really energized the rest of the team. We saw Andre Drummond get going uh, and then it allowed LeBron to kind of pick his spots. And I think that's where the Lakers are most dangerous. When Anthony Davis is really aggressive, uh, the rest of the team feeds off of it. Dennis Schroeder was incredible as well. And it, and it allows LeBron to, if you need him, break in place, break in case of emergency, uh, you break the glass, LeBron comes out in the clutch, and he can either defend or make a play late in the game. And that's what happened uh, against Phoenix in game two. We're tied at one, and the Lakers look pretty good now heading home. Yeah, I feel like Schroeder doesn't get enough credit. I feel like I haven't seen him get enough credit for the way that he played in game two because he scored 24 points. It showed. It felt like he hit like key shots in key moments. Um, and, I mean, this is kind of the, the player they envisioned when they when they traded for him in the offseason. But yeah, like to your point, those 21 free throws speak a ton about Anthony Davis and kind of his mentality going to that game. Because it really did feel like in game one, 
there were times where like you kind of just forgot that he was on the court like he was just kind of floating on by not being aggressive letting the suns off the hook in certain matchups in certain situations and it felt like he was just kind of in attack mode all game long and you know surprise surprise one of the best players in the nba when he's got his foot on the gas and uh and shows up their team is much better and i mean this is kind of like schroeder this is what they envisioned right when they when they got anthony davis you know they got lebron at the, it's crazy to say like the end of his career because he's still arguably the best player in the world. But in a situation where LeBron can kind of pick and choose his moments and Anthony Davis can carry this team and have that luxury for LeBron to just pick and choose his moments. And uh, he was awesome down the stretch of that game, hit two, I think two or three big jumpers, that, that three that basically settled it, but also a little mid-range jumper at one point in the fourth quarter. Um, I mean defensively this team is just awesome as well and i think that's going to be the key to them making another run of the finals because offensively they've been kind of a mixed bag all season they've been really good with lebron and ad which is encouraging but defensively like this team just has the personnel to kind of match up with everyone um the the biggest question mark is essentially their center position or the center rotation because drummond's starting and i think it's been unfortunate because i feel like he's just been an easy punching bag for this team whenever anything goes bad it seems like all the fault goes to him and he hasn't been perfect by any means, but I thought he had moments in game one where he showed up for them and he was big in game two. Um, finished with 15, 15 points and 12 rebounds, five of which came on the offensive glass. And he just felt much more active defensively. But we also saw Marc Gasol get 20 minutes after he didn't play game one. Fine. Um, and then also going smaller with Anthony Davis at center, which is going to be, I think, you know, the, the, the biggest thing for this team moving forward, be, picking and choosing those moments when they play AD at center because we know that's when that team is is at their best. So it really did kind of feel like the, the Lakers got their mojo back in that game too and momentum's now in their favor. Obviously, the Chris Paul injury is huge. Um, and without knowing kind of the exact extent of of that injury, it's clear that he's kind of laboring. It's clear that he can't do some of the things that he normally would, which is such a shame because at this stage of his career, I mean, he was in the MVP conversation. You, I felt like you were kind of ahead of other people when it came to putting him in the MVP conversation this season. Not having him on the court not only hurts in that regard because, you know, he's a fantastic leader, He's also been one of the best clutch players in the league the last couple of seasons. And it was just yeah. as as good as um, Cameron Payne was in that game, especially down the stretch. It was so weird to see kind of him running the show and not Chris Paul. Um, and the reality is not having Chris Paul on the floor in those situations or having him, I don't know, 70, 60, 50 percent, whatever the number is. Um, really puts a ceiling on this team and it's so unfortunate to see it go this way based on the season that they've had so hopefully he can kind of bounce back hopefully we get to see Chris Paul back to doing what he does because this series could be a ton of fun if they can kind of get back in that regard yeah if Chris Paul's compromised the series is over let's face it and it's going to be quickly over uh the Phoenix Suns it sucks because the Phoenix Suns as a franchise is having an incredible year. It's great to see them back in the playoffs. Their fans were incredible in both games. They were loud. They were boisterous. Um, and, and and really, you know, it really gave that team some energy in game one and especially game two to get back there. Campaign played out of his mind, as you said. But if Chris Paul's not on the floor, there really is no shot of them beating the L.A. Lakers in a seven-game series. And I think that if Chris Paul, I had the Lakers in this series, and I actually had the, I might have had it in six. I can't remember exactly. But after game one and seeing how Phoenix played and the matchups and the issues, and obviously AD didn't have the greatest games and LeBron looked disinterested. After seeing game one and how focused that team was, 
I thought to myself that if Phoenix got past the Lakers, there might be a good shot that they would have made the finals out of the Western Conference uh, because it would be tough to beat that team um, the way that they you know, can defend. Uh, they have the shooting that you need, and then they have the closer. And they still have all those things, but the closer is the important one, and you need a closer in the playoffs. And it's going to be up to Devin Booker to try and get there, but, but Chris Paul just brings you another dynamic. It was like campaign, as you said, was incredible in the fourth quarter of the, yesterday's game, but every shot that he hit – it was almost still like mentally you were still thinking to yourself, and I'm sure the Lakers were too. Yeah, but it's still campaign. You know, we we, we, we can, you know, we let him. He is hitting that shot, but it's still campaign. If, if Chris Paul was doing the same amount of damage, it just gives you a different perspective. And and I think as a team, if you're Phoenix, it gives you more confidence to believe that this guy is going to be able to carry you through because you've seen him do it before. You've seen him take over games, not only in the regular season, but you've watched him if you're Devin Booker and, and Mikhail Bridges. You've, you've, you've grown up watching Chris Paul do that on the big stage. Campaign, not so much. So uh, that that is a huge loss, and it really shifts the balance of power in this series if Chris Paul is not able to go uh, full tilt. I do still expect him to play in these games, but it's going to be you know hobbled. And the schedule is not their friends here. Um, you know they they played on Tuesday night. They're back at it again on Thursday. So it's not like he gets a a long break. The longest break in the series is from Thursday night. And they finally get two nights off, and they'll play Sunday afternoon. Um, so, and that will be the big one. That will be the swing game for the series because it's either going to be a tie series or we're heading back to Phoenix three um, one. So that is, uh, I, if if I'm Phoenix and you were going to sit Chris Paul out at some point at any time, I think it's game three, right? I mean, it probably should have been game two if we're if we're being honest here, but um, I, I think so. It's um, it, it's just. I mean, you look at the stats, for example. I think last year, Chris Paul led the league in clutch scoring, if I remember correctly, and like did it efficiently. And this season, he led the Suns in clutch scoring. And by the way, Cameron Payne played a total of eight minutes in the clutch this season. So that's not like something that he, in a position that he's used to. But um, I, I do think probably game three. Um, but again, it's it's hard to know because I, I, I haven't seen anything about kind of well, they said it's like a shoulder contusion. Um, is mm-hmm. that what they've officially ruled it? It's hard to know it was exactly like a stinger, what he, shoulder contusion. It yeah, was, it was a lot. Um, but either way, I mean, j- just watching him in game one, he was basically just dribbling with his left left hand um, after he suffered that injury. He doesn't look like he wants to. He's not taking the same shots that he usually would from mid range. Um, the some of the passes, it doesn't seem like he has the same mobility or the same trust. So you're right. If he can't go, or if he's kind of hampered in any sort of way um it's it's unfortunate that the suns it doesn't feel like they have a chance at all in the series because again they've been they've been such a great story this season and i really do think i mean i picked i think i picked the lakers in six in this series because to be quite frank it's hard to bet against lebron until we've seen him lose in these situations he's never lost in the first round um he's still the best player in pretty much every series he's going to step into and as long as that's the case it's hard to bet against him and ad but I, I really do think that the Suns team at full strength can definitely push this this Lakers team to two seven games and potentially even win this series. Like they are that good on both mm-hmm. ends of the court. So it, I, I just I, I do hope Chris Paul can kind of bounce back and regain that because again it, it would just be it would be such a nice way to wrap up the season for them. But also this series, as I said, it, it could be incredible um, if both teams are at full strength. But but yeah, if you're a Lakers fan, I think. Encouraging winning game two. Um, team looked more dialed in on both ends of the court. LeBron, you know, it feels like I, I was going to say you don't have to worry about him, but I, I'm definitely more concerned than I think you are about his ankle injury and kind of monitoring that for the rest of the playoffs because I don't quite think he's 100%. Um, I, again, I don't know what I'd put on it, but he doesn't look quite LeBron, but um, they can kind of get away with that for at least a couple series 
if if AD is going to step up like he did in game two. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. He 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 looks fine. Uh, he's out there. I, I get that he he's he looks like he's going to be, you know, dealing with his ankle injury all all playoff run. But it, you know, this is LeBron James. He'll he'll figure it out. Um, two things before we move on to the Bucks Heat series. This Suns team uh, reminds me of the 2010 uh, Oklahoma City team that took the Lakers to six games. That Laker team eventually goes on and wins the NBA title uh, that year, um, and uh, that was their. I think they they that was their repeat year um, after beating uh, the Orlando Magic the year before. But that that young Thunder team really pushed the Lakers, uh, and even though it was a six game series, they they were going at them, and that was obviously you know Kevin Durant and uh, Jeff Green and, and Russell Westbrook and young James Harden, um, and then the year after that, that's really when the Thunder took off. They go to the Western Conference Finals the following year, and then they end up in the NBA Finals the year after that. I'm not saying that the Suns are going to do that same sort of thing or end up on that same path, but I, I, it, this reminds me of a team that's really peaking early. They're just a little bit too young to get over the hump, and they're going to they're going to learn from this and and come back next year, um, you know, with with a vengeance. And the Western Conference better look out because DeAndre Ayton looks amazing. Uh, he's missed three shots in the, in the playoffs, and everyone was kind of worried about him. But he's going right at Anthony Davis, and that's going to you know give him confidence for next season. Devin Booker, we saw what he did in Game One. Game Two was a little bit uh, lesser than uh, his performance in Game One, but you know he, he is learning, and, and this he, he's going to take that loss hard uh, if they end up losing the series, and it's going to set him up for a great year next year. And if Chris Paul can get back healthy then we're back in business. Mikael Bridges is learning a lot too, having to guard LeBron James for for an entire NBA playoff series. Nothing should fear him after this, right? Like he should, he should be able to to guard anyone in the world after having to guard LeBron James in a, in a playoff series. So this Phoenix Suns team reminds me of that, and I think they believe in Monty Williams, uh, mm-hmm. and, and they'll they'll be able to take that next step um, next year and, and and make a little bit of a deeper playoff run. The other thing is KCP has been awful offensively, right? Like he he hasn't been able to hit anything. Um, LeBron obviously that that clip's going around where him and LeBron are he, LeBron's kind of uh, yelling at him and kind of encouraging him to shoot more and all that. But if you look at you know his impact on the court so far. Um, in game two, right, he did not score, went 0 for 4 from the field in game two. And his impact on the court, while he was on the court, the Lakers are outscoring the Suns uh, 29.4 points per 100 possessions. When he was off the floor, which is only 17 minutes, they were being outscored by 43.6 points per 100 possessions. His defense uh, has been valuable to the Lakers, and just having him out there to space the floor opens up their offense. Yes, he's not shooting well, but guess what? They're going back home. He's going to feel more comfortable shooting at home, and I don't think he'll have that bubble performance that he had where he, it seemed like everything he threw up went in, but I think he will be a better shooter at home than he was uh, in Phoenix, and uh, that that is going to be a dangerous scenario for the Phoenix Suns. Now, Kyle Kuzma, I have no really answer for him. I, I just think that this is who he is. I, I, know, I have no explanation for, for Kyle Kuzma. I don't have any hope for him to bounce back in this series. I just think that this is who he is. Um, and KCP had the best three-point shooting of his career this season. He shot 41%, which was a career high, 
on four and a half attempts a game, essentially. So, like you said, he's he's a huge part of them on both ends of the court. And I can't remember what it was. It, it probably was the the play that's been circulating when LeBron's talking to him on the sideline at the end of the game where LeBron kicked it. He had like a skip pass to him. And instead of shooting it, he wasn't wide open, but he was, he was open enough, a shot that he would probably usually take. He mm-hmm. swung it to, I think it was Dennis Schroeder in the corner. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, they did not get a very good shot off. And I think that's the one when LeBron was kind of telling him to, to just fire it up because they trust him in those situations, everything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, we've seen it year in, year, year, in, year out. Um, to win a championship, you need the supporting cast to step up. You need those Alex Caruso games. You need those KCP games. You need that Montrez Harrell game. You need that Marc Gasol game at timely moments. I mean, every, you can look basically every single team suddenly over the last decade, I feel like, but maybe in NBA history, and they, those players always kind of had key moments. So, um, I mean, if, if you're the Lakers, you, you hope you remember what he did last year and you can kind of hope he can kind of regain that form. Yeah, I, I, I think he will, uh, especially heading back home. He's comfortable there and the Laker fan base will kind of energize him um, because they're going to be rocking uh, for games three and four. All right, let's quickly move to the Bucks and the uh, Heat series. This is a different series than it was a year ago. Uh, a year ago, you knew I, come, I came on this podcast. I, I predicted that the Heat would top the Bucks. I didn't think it would be as easy as they made it, um, but they did. And this year, uh, we didn't really have that conversation on the air, but off the air, I felt better about the Bucks' chances than I did uh, a season ago, um, and mainly because Eric Bledsoe was no longer on the team. But it's also with you know, the guy that they replaced him with is far better, you know, as a basketball player. And I think the reason why the Bucks are up 2-0 is simply just Drew Holiday. This is why you go out and get Drew Holiday. Uh, in the two games, Drew Holiday on the floor, the Bucks are outscoring the Miami Heat 28.7 points per 100 possessions. When he's off the floor, they're being outscored by 17 points um, per 100 possessions. And that is obviously a small sample size. But when you look at the regular season, um, those numbers, you know, they, they are, you know, relatively the same. Again, they were outscoring teams by, uh, you know, almost 10 points, 9.2 points per 100 possessions when he was on the floor. Off the floor, it, it, they were just outscoring teams by one point, one and a half points per 100 possessions. Um, this this Bucks team is obviously going to go as far as Giannis can take them, but you need a supporting cast, as you just said. And if that supporting cast uh, you know, you know, Chris Middleton is a terrific player, an all-star in his own right. But now you have a third or second at times best player in Drew Holiday, who can not only can defend and just suck the soul out of whoever he's defending uh, on the opposing team, but then provides you with a game where he doesn't score, but gives you 15 assists in a single game. That's something that Drew Holiday brings to the table that was not there uh, a year ago with Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe offensively, the, the Raptors did this, and the Heat did this last year. Uh, the Raptors did in the conference finals uh, in, in 2019. Heat did this last year in the bubble. They just stopped guarding Eric Bledsoe uh, in, in the half court and, and dared him to make a play, and he just wasn't able to do that. And I don't want to make this a, an entire Eric Bledsoe bash fest, but I, I do have to you know, bring up to the point that he was on the opposing team's game plan like, you know what, if he beats us, then we'll take the L. They can't do that with Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is a terrific player on both ends of the floor, and that is the major difference uh, between this year's team and last year's team, last two years' teams, uh, when you're talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. The one other difference I do find, and I think that it's going to be interesting when they eventually play the Boston Celtics, or sorry, <laughs> Boston Celtics, are you kidding me? When they eventually <laughs> play the Brooklyn Nets um, in the second round, this team's a lot tougher 
uh, as well. You, you talk about P.J. Tucker. Uh, you talk about Bobby Portis. Um, they are just a tougher team, uh, very physical, and Brooke Lopez seems to be, uh, you know, healthier than he did last year. Last year, it almost looked like he was always a step slow at getting places. He, he seems to be a little bit more spry this year. Um, his shooting is still awful, but his defense is there. And, you know, if this team is able to, uh, you know, grind out wins and then also shoot as well as they did in game two, they can beat you in multiple ways. And I don't think that the Bucks teams the last two years where they failed in the playoffs were able to beat you multiple ways. I think the last two years, the Bucks had one way to beat you, and that was Giannis went crazy, and and when he wasn't uh, able to do that, you you knock down some threes and and you know free up the lane for him. Now there's just different ways they, they can hit Giannis in the pick and roll. They're just doing so many different things uh, that it makes teams tough. To, you know, it, it makes them tough to guard, and uh, I do think that they're going to embarrass the Heat here in this series and uh, set up a, a nice second round matchup between them and the Brooklyn Nets. So, Colin, you were talking about picks then, and I, I pulled up our series preview, and I, I couldn't find your pick because um, I feel like you, you kind of just picked and choose your series. So I, I don't know what you thought this series, how it would turn out. But um, I, I thought it was going to be competitive. I had Bucks in seven. Uh, I, I thought this I had, was going to go. Sorry, I had go Bucks ahead. in six. I had Bucks okay. in six. And, I, and I, that's an NBA Spain exclusive, actually. Uh, <laughs> our, our friends over at NBA Spain has it. So I hid my pick in, all the way in Spain. Okay. But uh, I, I did have Bucks in six. And, and full disclosure, when I sent that into our one of our editors over there, uh, Nacho, I, I told him I, was, I don't feel confident about that pick. But I'm making it anyway. So I, I can't take full credit for, for saying that uh, I was super confident in this one. But I did have officially Bucks in six. I mean, I, I wasn't confident either. I, I had Bucks in seven. Uh, I felt like it could have kind of go either way. And I don't want to just write off the heat, by the way. It's, it's been two games. Um, the Bucks absolutely demolished them in game two. But we've seen the fight this Heat, heat team has. So I, I don't want to just, you know, write them off yet. But um, I, I think everything you said, I, I think, has jumped out to me as well. Not just, you know, Drew Holiday, his impact on both ends of the court. Um, a guy that they have to guard on offense and account for on offense but also someone who can basically guard every position except for, you know, your Joel Embiid's and Nikola Jokic's. Like, he, he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. And having that option against a Goran Dragic, a Tyler Hero, all these different guards that he, ha- he have is such a huge luxury for them. But I, I also think they just, this Bucks team seems to be, like you said, that they're, they're, they're tougher it feels like they just, they have a better sense of who they are and they believe in themselves more. And I don't know if that was, the bubble last year. I don't want to make excuses for them, but I, I still believed in them going into that series with the Heat. I, I thought they would come out on top. And I think you made a really good observation where like even in that Orlando Magic series, like they won that pretty comfortably besides from that game one loss, I think it was or, or whatever it was. But they, they you, you made a good point. Like they didn't quite look like themselves. Um, and that really carried over into that series. But they just look totally bought in on both ends of the court right now. Believe who they are. I think the addition of P.J. Tucker, the reason I and so many other people loved it at the time, is that it does give them the ability to kind of downsize. It gives them someone else that they can throw on these elite scorers. It adds to their toughness. Um, they, they, they just have different options and everything like that. And one thing I want to say about this series, which I, I think is really important, is that as, as good as you know, taking all that into account... The Bucks got so much heat, pun intended, last season for um, Giannis not guarding Jimmy Butler. Um, 
I remember after that, Jimmy Butler hit that game winner or something. There was all this talk about, you know, the defensive player of the year. Why is he not spending more time on Jimmy Butler? And, you know, the Bucks saying that that's their scheme. That's not what they want to do. Right. NBA Stats has Giannis guarding Jimmy Butler for two minutes and 54 seconds in that series. We've played two games in this series so far, and he's already spent 12 minutes on Jimmy Butler. Um, <laughs> and, and it's interesting. It, the, the stat, I, the, I wouldn't look too much into the matchup data. Jimmy Butler shooting two for seven against Giannis as his primary defender. You can look into that as much as you want. I, I'd, be, I'd throw caution to the wind. But like very clearly, Giannis is, has given him some trouble. I know he hit that layup to go into overtime against Giannis, but Giannis had an incredible steal, like an otherworldly steal on him, like mm-hmm. 20 seconds beforehand or something. Um, and he he's really taken on that matchup in a way that we saw Anthony Davis take it on in the finals last year after Jimmy kind of cooked them early in that series. And he, he took on that matchup, gave him some trouble with his length, backed off of him, um, tried to get him to settle for jumpers, which he, he's not nearly as good at and take away those kind of driving lanes to the basket. So I, I think that, in addition as well, and that probably speaks to, again, the comfort that this Bucks team in their identity, buying in on both ends of the court, that, you know, that they're, they're more confident in just being like, you know, this might not be how we would traditionally play it, but yeah, Giannis, you're going to go guard Jimmy Butler. We're going to switch more, do all these different things. So, um, again, I don't want to write the heat off, but it, it, it seems like we're heading to a second-round series between the Bucks and the Nets, and... As good as the Nets are, um, I, I think that's going to be a hell of a series. And I, I'm probably going to lose some sleep thinking about who I want to pr- uh, pick in that series because I'm going to give a lot of thought to the Bucs just because of how good they've been on both ends of the court and how well they match up with that Nets team, actually. Yeah, you don't have to get a prediction now, so uh, we, we do have time for that. I, I will give a prediction on the and, and double down and say that the Bucks are the series is over. The Heat are you know the Heat team that we have seen through the first two games is not the Heat team that we saw last year uh, in the bubble. The confidence is gone. Um, you know the the adjustments is gone. This they sucked the life out of the Bucks last year. They really did, and and it looks like the Bucks now are doing the punching instead of being punched. The other thing. If Bam Adebayo doesn't take a jump shot when he's open, this series is going to end in four. Bam Adebayo is being left alone at the top of the key. He's not looking at the rim. Uh, Brooke Lopez is basically sitting underneath the rim. At times, I think Brooke Lopez is hanging out with the guys uh, that wipe the floor uh, when, when guys drop on the floor. He is so deep. Brooke Lopez's back is basically on the stanchion of the goal. And Bam Adebayo refuses to look at the rim and take a shot. He has no confidence in his jump shot. He's shooting, th- he's shooting 34% from the field and has no interest in in taking a jump shot uh, anywhere in the mid-range. And I thought that that was where Bam kind of turned the corner a year ago was that he was was confident in taking that shot. When teams were giving that shot up, he was knocking it down. He's never going to be a great three-point shooter. Let me not say that. He he isn't interested in being a great three-point shooter. And quite frankly, he doesn't have to be. He'd have great three-point shooters around him. But you have to take that shot in the mid-range. You can't be that wide open and allow teams to basically dare you to shoot and you're looking, your backs, your numbers are to the rim. You're not even looking at the rim. That's, that is, has to stop in games three and four. If it doesn't, this will be in, over in, in four games. It will be a clean sweep. The Bucks will clean them out if, if Bam Adebayo doesn't find some sort of confidence in that mid-range jump shot. Has to. I mean, it, it, really, it really has to happen. So that's our thoughts on the Miami Heat. It's okay. He, 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 I think we agree on the fact that the Bucks are going to take care of business here. In this series, uh, there's nothing really more to say about that. We were going to talk about the coach of the year, um, but we'll leave that, you know what, for next year, next week, I should say, where we'll be back on Tuesday at 3 p.m. 
Eastern Time, Noon Pacific, across the NBA Global Networks. If you've missed any part of the show, you can find the entire episode on NBA Sound System, wherever you get your podcast. NBA Sound System, place to be. Uh, it's a playoff time, folks. It is fun. Uh, it's exciting. A lot of news, notes, and everything in between. Shout out to Jordan Clarkson for winning Sixth Man of the Year, and also Julius Randle, two former Lakers, and now they're on, op, you know, opposing teams, and uh, were able to to get uh, rewarded this season by the way that they played. Um, we look forward to the rest of the award announcements. All those will be happening over on uh, our friends at TNT. We'll have that for you. So we didn't get a chance to talk about the Knicks. I know a lot of people want to talk about the Knicks, but the reason why we didn't do that is they're going to be playing in a couple hours as we uh, as we record this. So we'll wait till next week to have a discussion about the New York Knicks. Hopefully they're still in the playoffs by then. So for my main man, Scott Rafferty, I am Carlin Gay. A reminder, next week, Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern time across the NBA Global Networks in noon Pacific. It is NBA Sound System, and we'll see you then. Have a great one.